I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan. Your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists. You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means you are certifiably awesome. I'm James Milley, co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We are the most widespread art fair for independent artists in the U.S. and one of the top resources for all things related to building your very own thriving art business. Today, we've got Jim Grace here with us. Jim is going to give us a crash course in copyright and talk about building creative communities for artists. I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and unsure about the next move in your career? Good news, those days are over! Since 2015, we've spent thousands of hours developing the best art fair model for independent artists just like you who want to take control of your career, build your collector list, and make a real sustainable income from your art. Superfine started with the connection between artists and an eager, empowered, qualified buying audience. So many alternatives didn't provide any real value for the artists who spent their precious time, hard-earned money, and major effort mounting and exhibiting their work without the results to back it up. And that meant that it was time for something new. For seven years, Superfine has focused on breaking down these barriers and creating sustainable economic opportunities for artists to build careers from our fair. To find your place at a Superfine fair, simply visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Don't miss the chance to be part of the top business artist community in the world. Oh, and when you mention the artist business plan, you'll receive $150 credit on your booth, no matter what size or city you choose. So that's $150 off. Go online to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art to set up your qualification call with James and get started selling your art with Superfine today. Again, that's www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. All right, so we are back here with Jim Grace. Jim Grace is the executive director of the Arts and Business Council of Greater Boston. A practicing attorney, he previously served as the executive director of the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts of Massachusetts from 1998 until 2008. Jim has extensive experience working with artists and arts organizations in the areas of legacy planning, publishing law, public art, and social practice art projects copyright, nonprofit incorporation and mergers, negotiation training, real estate development of creative spaces, and nonprofit board development. Jim was an adjunct professor at uh, Boston University's Master's in Arts Administration program for more than five years, where he co-taught a course on legal issues in arts administration. As a national leader in the field, Jim trains locally and nationally on a variety of board, legal, and artist professional development topics. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Jim. Well, thank you for having me. It's so great to meet you and be part of part of your program. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great to have you here. Um, now, before we get started, Jim, uh, I just want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests when they come on to help our listeners get to know you. Uh, what is the earliest memory that you have of art? That is a great question. Uh, I would have to say, I grew up. My mother was a musician, so growing up, uh, you know, hearing her play and then also picking up the same instrument that she. That she uh, that she performed. So I have an early memory of kind of music in the house. 
uh, and having that be part of, you know, kind of our everyday life. So yeah, so it's kind of right from the beginning. That's awesome. Um, yeah, my, my mom also, uh, she, she played piano when I was growing up. So that was just kind of part of, uh, you know, living in my household was hearing, hearing piano. <laughs> um, what was, uh, what instrument, uh, instrument did your mom play? Yeah, she played the accordion actually. So oh my I, goodness. Okay. Yeah, I was, I think I could, if I could have picked maybe a cooler instrument, you know, I think it would have probably led to a longer, you know, that was, uh, but I did enjoy it, but yeah. It did, you know, besides maybe it was a limited, you really, it wasn't like a lot of high school opportunities for accordion players. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> uh, somewhat limited, but yeah, you know, somewhat yeah. limited. Yes. I would have to say, but uh, got to take some inspiration from your parents. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. If I just a saxophone or something. I probably <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the rest of our questions. Um, so, First off, uh, let's talk about a concept that artists run into frequently with legal issues, copyright. Uh, but before we begin to address those questions, we should first define the term. Uh, what is a copyright and where does it come from? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is kind of the language of a working artist, this idea of understanding. It's almost understanding your rights, copyright being kind of one of the main rights. But you know, fundamentally, a copyright protects an expression. So, um, so in a sense, the expression is, it really could be anything. It has to be fixed and it has to be original. Um, so fundamentally copyright protects an original expression in a fixed format, which gives it great, really great flexibility. And over time, what was originally protected in the constitution, the copyright actually starts, uh, in the constitution, um, has expanded over the years to include more, more things than originally listed you know, back, you know, many hundreds of years ago. Right. I, I'm, I'm sure certain things that are able to be copyrighted now uh, did not exist at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 exactly. But originally, yeah, so originally it was kind of literary works to start and then uh, it has expanded over time. Um, gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. that's the biggest. And I think that just to take a second on that. So we, copyright is part of intellectual property rights, of which there are three. There's copyright, trademark and patents. So really copyright sits within those three uh, intellectual property rights. Trademark is more about a brand. And I work with a lot of artists that are trademarking uh, different aspects of their work. And then obviously patent, you know, protects a, a novel method or a process. Um, so, but it's all part of that idea of intellectual property rights. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it makes a lot of sense for art. And I think it's something that, you know, maybe at first thought feels a little too abstract um, for, for someone who's not familiar in law to, to fully understand what it means. But ultimately it, it makes perfect sense. It's, you know, you have expressed something with your art and it is a way to, to protect that original idea that you've created. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and also um, would you would you be able to kind of expand a little bit on how uh, licensing relates to copyright or is that kind of covered in um, trademark and patents as well? No. Yeah. So think, I think that also the, I think the trick of this is always about language. And so even words like a lot of words around copyright get thrown around license or work for hire or these other terms of art. But I think fundamentally, if we think of it as a property, right. Um, so there are, and, if, and to take a step back too, there's three types of property. And this is important to appreciate because this does get confusing and it does confuse people. Um, 
So there are three types of intellectual property, like we said, copyright, trademark, and patent. But this is a property right, and there are three types of property. There is fixed property, which is more like land and things affixed to land, like buildings. There is personal property, which is basically everything else, everything tangible that you can touch is personal property. And then intellectual property is non-tangible. You can't touch it, okay? So that's where this gets confusing. I could create, if I, if, let's say if we were, you know, you could see me visually and I took a piece of paper and I, and I drew a, a picture for you, that would be on a physical piece of paper. That's a property, right? The copyright is the expression, not the physicality of the work itself. Um, which that's there. That's where it kind of leads to, you know, some confusion as people are selling or potentially even, um, you know, trading in the work that they do in different ways. So the license is a permission to use your copyright. That's what a license is. It's just, it's the ability to say, yes, you can use it for this particular purpose for this particular amount of time. It's a, it's a permission. It's like saying to somebody, um, Hey, I own a car and you can drive my car to go get, to the supermarket and back. That's you're you're letting somebody, you're giving someone permission to use your property for a particular purpose. That's all a license is. It's just for an intellectual property, right? Not a physical property. And I think that makes sense. What you were saying about physical versus the intellectual property is, you know, if it, the if you make an artwork, that is a physical object that you've made, but then if someone decided that they wanted to take that artwork that you made and, and basically make a copy of it, well, it's not the same physical item. It's a different item, but it's, it's taking the, the idea and the creation behind it. And it's, yeah, but, but uh, that's a good, that's a good distinction because copyright does not protect ideas. Copyright protects the expression, which could be based on an idea. So I'll give you an example. So let's say, um, I, let's say, you know, we, we had, let's say I had a workshop and I said, all right, there's 10 people in the class. And, and my assignment for the class was write me a poem about love. Now idea, the idea is love. The idea is, um, write me a, write me, um, uh, write me a story about the, f the first memory of, of, of art in your life. Like the first question you asked me, that's a great prompt my expression, how I express that, that is protected by copyright, but not necessarily the idea of love or your first musical or the ocean or all these other things that might inspire us to create original expressions. So that's, that is a, that's a term of art and it's something that is, uh, it does get people confused. Um, totally. And I mean, admittedly, I'm not, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, a lawyer. So <laughs> no, 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 it's good. that's why, but I think, but when you said it, it prompted me to think, okay, that is some, that's, that's an opportunity to, to, to make a distinction between what inspires us and the expression itself. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the confusion I see is between those two worlds. Yeah. Um, and I, the other, the other piece of this is because artists are working with other people or they might be working with their, their patrons or people who are experiencing their work because it is confusing. It, it, it does lead to, to, um, you know, problems for artists. I know that's going to be, you know, maybe a future question that you have, but underlying a lot of the problems that artists have is because it is confusing and because, uh, the language does matter here. So, right. And that's actually, I have, I have a, a personal example of that where, 
um, it was uh, a bit vague uh, where, where my work was uh, copied. I don't know if it was, uh, if it was technically breaking any type of sure. uh, law or anything, but it was, it was sort of like taking, uh, taking the concept and, and the, the, the work that I made and, and kind of just repeating it. But right. that actually right. it, it leads into the next question. Well, um, sure. which is uh, it, it, what you kind of alluded to. So how can you as an artist, how can you best avoid infringement of copyright and also uh, what characteristics of an artist's work lead to copyright lawsuits? Sure. It's a great question. I think the first piece, like we were, it's almost a, a segue from our previous conversation, is understanding your own rights is key, is understanding kind of what you have uh, kind of control over and what you don't. Um, so it's kind of understanding your rights and then respecting the rights of others if, if as part of your process, you're using other people's materials. So it really depends so much on the type of work you're doing, the type of artist you are. Um, you might be working in mixed mediums where you're writing a play and there's music and there's visual imagery and there's dance. I mean, you, you, depending on what you're doing, it could be a whole salad of different, you know, contributors, uh, you know, to your piece, to your work, however defined by you, you know? So I think that is knowing your rights and knowing the rights of others and then appreciating the fact that if you are using other people's materials, just like my example with the car, you, you either have to you have to get permission or you have to appreciate the fact that um, you may have an issue later or you might have to ask permission later or you might not be able to use it later. You know, so uh, it is it is very case specific. It's very artist specific. It's very kind of their goals uh, specific, um, and it's their own risk tolerance you know, quite frankly, as well. Yeah, no, and I mean, it's definitely something that I would say a lot of artists that we work with would have questions about. Um, you know, there's artists who uh, are always referencing other artists, like, you know, Warhol is is always um, uh, a big inspiration for artists. There's uh, specific celebrities' uh, faces and uh, and. Uh, like brands are oftentimes included in art. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, where, where is that line there? And I think like you're saying, I think getting like a good understanding of um, uh, not only your own rights, but also that other entity's rights and, and your own risk tolerance of that <laughs> makes that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a good, and I think, and your, and your examples, I think are good because they tease out the fact that the things that you listed around knowing other people's rights really are not related to copyright. Someone's face is more of a, it's actually a privacy right or potentially even a right of publicity. And then uh, images of brands is more trademark. Um, so even again, copyright is just one of three different types of property rights, uh, intellectual property rights. And again, depending on the person and what they're doing and the work and the collaboration, you might kind of, you know, pull these different strings that have other other rights attached to them, not not just copyright. So I, I liked your examples because it teased out that fact. Right, right, for sure. Cool. Okay, so the next question I have. So when you're negotiating a contract, uh, what are the key factors to keep in mind when discussing copyright 
Um, and I believe you have a, a breakup analogy uh, relating to ownership. Could you kind of explain that uh, to our listeners? Yeah, I think this is something that we, you know, we always talk about and we, so from the volunteer lawyers for the arts, and I should say that there are volunteer lawyers for the arts programs all over the country. Um, and there's a list on our website and the, the New York VLA's website as well of all the different programs around the country and their, their content information. So kind of having that be part of your, your kind of resource list so that you do feel comfortable reaching out on particular matters or asking questions or building a relationship with your local VLA so that when, you know, when stuff comes up, you, they know who you are and you know who they are. I think that's super helpful. Um, when it comes to contracts though, it really is, you know, so person specific in some ways, but generally speaking, understanding what your goals are with respect to that particular, uh, that negotiation or that particular matter is so key. And if everything runs through your goals and it runs through um, kind of your, the culture of your business, you know, how you want to, how you want to act and how you want other people um, to treat you and, and your work. And, you know, so kind of keeping those core fundamental pieces in mind, why am I doing this? What are my goals, either short-term or long-term, you know, does this fit within the culture of how I want to conduct my practice? Um, and then, and then I guess my last point on that would be to make a distinction between an interest and a position. You're like, what are my, what are the core things I'm trying to accomplish here? And then, what are just more interests of mine? And uh, and I think taking a, a good negotiation class or taking a workshop on uh, negotiation or reading the book Getting to Yes, I think would be a, a good start in that process. So, kind of doing some work in this space will make one, it'll make you feel more confident. It'll get you closer to your goals. And it will, I think, strengthen relationships. Um, and I do think relationship is a key piece of, of a healthy practice. So it, uh, I'm a huge fan in investing in this idea of healthy negotiations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think that just having, having a very clear sense of, of what it is that you're, you're ultimately trying to achieve, um, uh, when negotiating that contract, I think it's, it's huge. Um, and so when, when should you reach out to someone for assistance with contracts? Um, at, at what point is an artist ready for that? Yeah, I think it matters. It depends on the artist, depends on if they're, let's say a public artist and they've been doing public art contracts for years, they may not really need that much help. They, they, they know the industry, they know, um, you know, they know their way around the, uh, what would be pretty much um, a standard agreement in that space. So in that context, they might not need a lot of help. They might have a particular question now and then. Um, I think artists that are entering into a new area of practice for them, I think the first couple agreements would be helpful to get some, you know, support. When you see your first, you know, 40 page percent for public art contract, it, it's going to like, it, it's going to be like a, a brick, you know, um, so getting some, you know, help understanding the language and again, putting it against what your goals are and, and how you want to, how you want to operate it in, in that space is helpful. It depends on if someone's asking you, here's a, here's another kind of short answer. If someone's asking you for all of your rights, definitely get somebody to help you look at it. You know, I think anytime someone wants the whole car and not just to take it for a drive is, you know, usually when you want to take take it more seriously because you can't get it. Once you sign that, you, you're not getting it back. Um, and also depending on how broad that language is, it may hurt your ability to make other work 
that's derivative of that. So if, let's say you have a particular style or a line of work where I kind of know you and your work, well, you definitely want to be able to make another piece in that same line. And I have seen examples where artists sign something way too broad um, when it could be more surgical, um, which is always good. Okay, so yeah. Anytime you're giving up a lot, especially full control or full copyright, definitely. Um, and it's also a money matter too. It, it, is, it is expensive to hire lawyers or to, to be represented. So that's another reason to know your local VLA is that if you were qualified based on income, you wouldn't have to worry about the cost of the lawyer. You could kind of more worry about kind of having a good experience and, and being properly represented. Yeah. So I, I would say that kind of tying the need for it to kind of like major milestones in your career. Like if, if there's something that feels like it's brand new, like you're saying, or, uh, or it's like a, a large deal that you're not familiar with, uh, that might be a really good time to kind of think in the back of your mind, Hey, do I need, should I have someone look over this contract? Um, it's, this is a type of contract I've not seen before. Yeah. And it's about, it's about gaining power. It's not about giving up power. It's, you know, the more that, you know, this is, this is really, um, you know, about empowering people to make informed decisions about, about their work and their practice and, you know, their goals. So the more, the more you, in, you kind of invest in it, I think it is, it can be empowering, um, especially when you feel like it's always leveraged against you, um, which oftentimes it is. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, that I think that is in the beginning. And even as you go through your practice, it can, it can be leveraged against you. So how do you kind of balance that out? You know, part of it is, is taking back some of that power. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of artists, um, who are, are kind of hoping for opportunities, especially when it's the first time it comes around, you're oftentimes you're wanting to like, not make sure not to mess up the deal in any way. So it's sometimes you can jump to, uh, just immediately saying yes and not, not asking for anything more because you think that it's just gonna, it's gonna ruin that, that opportunity for you. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you, you are, uh, you're integral to, uh, to something like, uh, you know, uh, a art proposal where you are creating art for someone. Um, so for you to be able to, also have a say in, in, you know, what you are getting out of the scenario. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, totally reasonable. <laughs> um, yeah, and you, totally and you know how to, um, you know, be able to uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, like going into it with your, your goals and, you know, kind of uh, what you want to be getting out of it is, is important. Cool. All right. So, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just—I was just gonna say I agree. I think it's—it's being—it's understanding it, so that you're making informed decisions. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, we are going to come right back, and Jim is going to tell you more about live work artist communities. Uh, but first, a message from our sponsors. Artists, not sure about the next move in your career? Whether you're a talented emerging artist or a nine to five career artist looking for an upgrade, Superfine Art Fair is the boost you've been waiting for. Showcasing top quality work with the highest level of production in the industry, Superfine has been continually developed over the past seven years to become the number one art fair for independent artists in the United States. 
If you want to make lifelong connections with collectors, if you're willing to learn new methods of marketing, and if you're able to make a plan and execute on it, then you're going to fit right in with our business artist community. From the east to the west, there are plenty of opportunities to expand your arts career with Superfine. To apply for a Superfine art fair near you, visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Mention the artist business plan during your qualification call and we'll take an additional $150 off of your booth fee for any city and any fair that you choose. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. So Jim, uh, as the main driver behind the Arts and Business Council's purchase of Western Avenue Studio and Lofts, uh, you advocated for a permanent live-work studio space for artists. Uh, why was this important to you, and how does something of this nature function? Yeah, great. Uh, that's a great, great question. So I think because I've been doing this for many years, I've seen, I've almost seen too much in t- at times, you know, where I've worked with artists who are helping build communities. And and then ultimately, as those communities gentrify, um, the artists that helped build vibrant communities are oftentimes then the, the ones kicked out as rents rise or as buildings get converted to different uses. Um, so kind of seeing that over the over so many years, I think, has kind of led me to this, you know, kind of sad conclusion that obviously, unless you own it, unless it's permanently protected, that it will always, these buildings will always be attractive for other other uses besides, um, you know, artist studio space. Um, and so I think that's what kind of seeing too many neighborhoods and seeing too many artists that I work with get, go into one neighborhood and get kicked out and then, you know, having that kind of perpetuate. So when the opportunity came, when, when the owner of Western Ave Studios and Loss, um, you know, was committed to preserving the building that he created with the artists as, as, as permanent affordable workspace, you know, we were, you know, we couldn't have been happier to work with them in, in collaboration with the owner to really preserve this building. So it was, it was really uh, a partnership between the owner and the arts and business council kind of mutual mission is let's, let's preserve this wonderful community that took so many years to build um, so that it, it can be permanently protected. I think of it almost like a cultural land trust, you know, where, we, we understand the concept of a local park or, or a beach or a farm and open space and forests. Um, and in many ways, I'd like to extend that same community thinking about space for community cultural space or maker space. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that's, a, it's like a cultural land trust is the way I think about it, at least in my own head. Um, and the, I think the more that we preserve and the more spaces we preserve, we're ultimately preserving communities in vibrant, diverse communities in, in the end. So that's what drove us to do it. And that's what, in partnership with Carl Frey, who was the founder, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience and a wonderful partnership. And and I'd like to do 10 more of them, quite frankly, so. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, like you said, it's uh, preserving community, it's preserving culture. It's something that, you know, we we prioritize with other things like, like, uh, like nature and parks and everything that you mentioned. Um, but it's, yeah, no, it's, it, we've seen it so many times with Superfine, uh, in the cities that we, we host the fair is, you know, there's a city or, uh, there, there's a, a neighborhood that is known for being an artistic neighborhood, but there actually aren't any artists or galleries left in it. It's 
almost like the the essence of them. It's like the reminder of them, but ultimately it's it's just a bunch of brands that are, you know, have some murals on their walls and they, you know, there's there's no artists left in those neighborhoods. Um, so I, th- I think it's hugely important to um, to preserve that um, because, yeah, I mean, the that neighborhood wouldn't exist without them. Um, like that is what made the neighborhood appealing in the first place. So it's, it's hugely important. I completely agree. That's the goal. Um, and we'd love to work with other, other, other groups and community groups and cities and towns that, you know, believe and are trying to do this too. So I think that is, uh, it's kind of almost like redefining how we think about supporting the arts. We, we've spent 40 years supporting the production of more work, but not necessarily the people and the, and the process and the spaces where art is made. So yeah. I mean, we're, we're hyper-focused now on, on supply chain only because we just expected everything to be always available to us. And I think the arts is a parallel analogy to that, where we just always expected there's always going to be more places or more artists or more components of a community that that support that. And the, the reality is that's not, and it's ever diminishing. And these buildings, once you lose these buildings, they don't come back. There's no, uh, there's no second chance for these buildings. So um, that is, yeah. that is one of our goals here is to, to have that conversation, have more people be part of that conversation, you know, talk to for-profit real estate developers that want cultural spaces in their development, cities and towns that want to preserve and build more community spaces uh, building owners who have artists or want to preserve that use. I think that it's really, it's a complex issue and it really will take a, a collaboration of many different people and voices and communities, you know, especially through an equity lens. Um, it's, uh, it's not going to get better unless, unless this is taken super seriously. So. No, I, I completely agree. And I think it's, it needs to start before uh, before someone gets pushed out. You know, I, I think that uh, preserving and thinking long term, like you're saying, like having um, uh, like an actual, uh, you know, the artist studio space being a purchased um, property, uh, I think is just it's you know that that's where it needs to start. Um, you know, there's, for instance, in Miami, um, a lot of the galleries that got pushed out of Wynwood, um, they then went to, um, the, the little Haiti neighborhood, which was, um, it was, you know, 15, 20 minutes North. Um, but a lot of the galleries there and the artists, they, um, they actually bought the spaces that they, they had their galleries and studios in so that they wouldn't get pushed out again. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's definitely like, that's, that's really the only way to, to prevent it is, you know, kind of start at the source, like you said. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, Jim, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, let's go ahead and bring it home for our listeners. Um, what is your number one tip uh, for artists who are just getting started? Um, I would say number one tip is that there, there isn't some magical playbook out there for you. There isn't some, there isn't some magical book that somebody else has the information to, you know, this is, this is kind of part of your kind of own journey. Um, and that journey is kind of based on kind of the change you want to see in the world, your voice, your work, and, and kind of growing that, that power of that voice over time. Um, 
is is kind of your path. And so I kind of just owning that and embracing that, I think, is a huge part of of the artists that I've worked with. Uh, and I think the other piece of that is the appreciation that the relationships you build along the way will often be the thing that helps build long-term, healthy, vibrant practices. And so kind of the, sh the short-term, um, kind of the short-term issues versus investing in, investing in people, the people that, that respond to your work, the, the, your voice, and that want to support you in your work, you know, building a community um, with strong relationships, I've seen as a, a strong base for so many growing and kind of healthy practices. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, being being an, an artist who is making your own original work, I mean, the thing that differentiates it from decor is, you know, you are part of it. Like it, it is a piece of your own story. And so, um, you know, developing those relationships with people uh, over time where it's, you know, it's not just about making that sale. It's it's about um, being connected to that person. Is uh, it's huge, and and that's that's definitely um, what we always tell artists is just you know make sure that your work is authentic and that uh, you are um, uh, you are focusing on the relationships that you're building versus uh, just you know selling pieces one off. Um, couldn't agree more. Cool. So thank you all for listening. Um, you can always listen to this episode again or any of our past podcast episodes on our website at www.superfine.world. Uh, to connect with Jim and the Arts and Business Council of Greater Boston, you can follow the Instagram page at ABC Greater Boston or visit artsandbusinesscouncil.org. Be sure to check us out at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. Uh, we always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to and enjoying the Artist Business Plan. Uh, also, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts when you get the chance. Uh, those ratings and reviews are critical in helping other artist entrepreneurs find us. Uh, and as always, I'd like to wrap up by sharing a quick quote with you all. Uh, you can copyright your art, but not your artistic vision. And that is by Robert Bissett. Uh, Jim, it has been such a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you again for sharing your perspective with our listeners. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the work you do to support artists. Very much Absolutely. appreciate it. Yeah. And, and, and back at you. Um, everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan. Hosted by me, Alex Mito. And me, James Milley. Join us each week to hear leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas discuss tips and tricks designed to help you thrive and sell more art. To listen to this episode and all of our past episodes, just visit www.superfine.world and click the Artist Business Plan. And we love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message just to let us know you're listening. Want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Go to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Until next time, keep listening, keep creating, and keep up your artist business plan.